Hey, it's Keith from the Book of Constellations, and I want to hear from you. There are lots of ways you can get in touch. You can send an email to bookofconstellations at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at WKeithTims. And I'd love for you to leave stars or a review on sites like Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or Podchaser. It helps me know how I'm doing and helps other people find the show. And if you'd like to help a little more, consider making a small gift of support at glow.fm slash bookofconstellations. It's just a couple of clicks, but allows me to keep making content. Thank you, and enjoy this week's verse. The Book of Constellations Written, produced, and performed By W. Keith Timms Chapter 1, Verse If you've never had a black cloth bag pulled over your head before, I don't recommend it. I get why they do it. It's easier than tying a blindfold, which can slip off, and and you've missed the whole point of it. But I think there's more to it than just that. First off, it's disorienting. The bag affects your hearing and and sense of smell, too, so you're completely lost, especially when you've been marched through the rain like I have been. You really don't know where you are, how far you've walked, which direction you're facing. On the one hand, that might seem like a blessing, not seeing the terrors that might be waiting for you. But your imagination is crafty. It provides much worse. And then you wonder about what other heads have been inside this bag. These other prisoners. You can smell their sweat, their breath, mixed with yours. You wonder if they survived. If their last gasps and yours will have this clinging black hood in common. So there is a certain level of demoralization which makes the bag an effective choice. But I think the bag isn't just for me. I think it's also for them. The Theta Group soldiers that march me along helplessly through the rain, then inside, through doors and turning corridors. With my face hidden, it's easier for them to pretend I'm not a person, that I'm a threat that must be handled, controlled, neutralized. (laughs) Me, with my cancer and in handcuffs, a threat to them with their guns and authority. If they had to look me in the eyes, they'd see I have nothing to hurt them with, which is why they put on the bag, so they don't have to. The guy shoves me down harder than necessary into a folding metal chair. I hear him walking away a few paces, and then silence, aside from the sound of my breathing, and this little electronic whine that blankets the whole place. 
I wait, catch my breath. Still have no idea where I am. I'm not sure how long I've been sitting when I hear the door open, followed by the faint taps of heels, a soldier murmuring something, then a woman's voice. Take it off. The soldier loosens the drawstring, pulls away the hood, and I blink at the harsh light and the woman standing in it. Dr. Mara Ostrom. Still in uniform, but her right glove and right eye are an intense cyan color this time. She looks as tightly wound as ever, but also tired, on edge, even a little uncomfortable. The white scars on her face seem more prominent. She's studying me from the other side of a wooden table. The intensity of her gaze from her mismatched eyes is unsettling. I don't think you're going to try to hurt me, are you, Simon? She says. I have to laugh a little, considering the situation. She's wearing her sidearm still, and the guard has an assault rifle. I think I'd only end up hurting myself if I tried. Her lips twitch into what might generously be called a smirk before she nods to the soldier. Wait outside. He goes. And then it's just me and her watching each other for several long seconds. I get a better sense of the room. It looks like an unfinished office. You can still smell the fresh drywall and the chill in the air is from the outside, not from a HVAC. Nothing on the walls. Harsh fluorescent light. Windows covered with cardboard. One table. Three folding chairs. And that faint whine always hovering behind the patter of rain at the edge of hearing. All right, then. The doctor eventually speaks. You are a brave man to come here alone? I say, don't you mean foolish? Hmm, I do wonder... You cannot have expected your chances would be very good. I shift my weight, trying to take the pressure off my lower back, the handcuffs scratching against the metal chair. Well, I had to try, didn't I? And not at the room, generally. You all have holed up in this unfinished office building. I'm guessing to stay in the area. If I was going to find her, gotta do it here before y'all scurry back into whatever bleak hole you crawled out of and take her with you. She stares me down. And yet, you have been the ones scurrying around and hiding in holes. The place we finally caught up to you, for instance. Such a shame. I feel a cold knot of anger forming my stomach. They were good people, Mara. They weren't hurting anyone. She gives a light shrug of her narrow shoulders, taking a moment to pull her glove a little tighter around her hand. They were in the country illegally. They were harboring you, a fugitive from the law. We had a responsibility to inform immigration. They could have been dangerous. They were kind and struggling people, and you had them marched into vans in cuffs. You're sending Santiago and his family back into a war zone. They took the children away, Mara. They took them from their parents. The little Rodriguez boy isn't even two. Well, then, after a while, he won't even remember his parents. I want to leap out of the chair and hurt her, somehow. But I can't. And even if I could, it wouldn't change anything. 
She takes my silence for defeat and walks closer to the table. It must have taken him every drop of self-control he possesses not to show himself, to throw himself at my feet in exchange for setting them free. Of course, we know influential people. I doubt we could pardon everyone, but maybe a few cases could get special dispensation. The children? The newlyweds, perhaps? I don't let myself rise to her bait. She leans over slightly. Where is he? We found your RV. We've searched everything. But he's become invisible again. And you turn up here alone like some knight in a fairy tale. You? Tell me where he is. When we have him again, then you can go home. I look into her one gray eye, the real one. Let me speak to Satya. Let me make sure she's okay. And then we can talk further. She's expecting this and turns to leave with a heavy sigh. Fine. But I am nearing the end of my patience with you. As she nears the door, I say, You really messed up at the hotel, didn't you? She freezes, her back to me. Famous man like Quaid getting shot. All those panicked people storming in with your soldiers. And you still didn't get us. Big, ugly, loud mistakes. That must be why you lured us away and then took her. You can't risk a front assault. They won't let you. I can see her body tightening up, her posture curling up slowly. You have authority, Doctor, but you're not in charge. They must be furious with you. She stands there like a coiled, crooked spring for a long moment before she reaches out her shaken hand and raps on the door. Over her shoulder, she glares at me, the cyan color of her iris too saturated to be natural. If your body were found in a ditch tomorrow, no one would care. And if I were to put a bullet in Satya's head, the only story that would appear on the news would be whatever I wanted it to be. I have authority enough to deal with you. The guard opens the door, and she goes out. And now, more waiting. I wish I could say I stayed cool through all of this. I hope I did a decent job of putting on a brave face. But she wasn't wrong. If they wanted to kill me, they could. No one would look for me. A couple people might spare me a thought, but then shrug their shoulders and get on with their lives. The thought of dying like that, well, it hated me. Which is laughable considering what I was going to do to myself before I met Rael. The cancer made me feel helpless. And now, I feel that way again. I don't know how anyone couldn't feel helpless facing the darkness. Facing people like Mara Astrum, like the Theta Group, like Pilot Quaid and his slavish followers the governor and his rich donors, people tearing the heart out of the world to make more room for themselves in its corpse, or the people too scared and ignorant to see that they're helping. How can you face so much authority and callousness and not feel helpless? I didn't want the last thing I saw to be a muddy ditch and the barrel of a rifle 
But there was Satya. And there was Rail. And I can't stop the whole government. But I could help them. If I survived this. The door opens, and a guard pushes Satya inside. She rushes over and tries to hug me, but her hands are cuffed in front of her. Oh, Simon, no. She's wearing the same clothes they got her in two days ago. Her makeup is mostly rubbed off, but there are smudges around her eyes. She's been crying and looks like she might again. Hell, I might too. I say, easy now. I'm okay. How about you? They haven't hurt you, have they? Oh, you know, she says. They like to knock you around a little if you ask for silly things like your freedom. But I'll be okay. She rests her bound hands on my knee, looking into my eyes. What are you doing here? Mara comes into the room and the door locks behind her. He tried to sneak in through the back fence. Of course, we saw him before he even got close. Satya looks at me reproachfully and I just shrug at her. Had to try, right? How did you find me? They left your phone in a vacant lot nearby. Wanted us to find it. A look of guilt steals over her. I'm so sorry, Simon. It was stupid of me to go off alone with that guy. But but he said he needed help and that his wife was sick. I shake my head at her. Never apologize for your compassion, young lady. And hey, she fooled us too. She then looks really worried. They, They didn't get railed too, did they? Mara interrupts, walking closer to the table. No, not yet. Which is what we will now discuss. Sit down. Satya takes one last look at me, trying to read my eyes. It's okay, I say, trying to sound calmer than I feel, and let her know that we're going to be fine, even if we won't. Satya sits next to me. Mara says, So, you can see she is safe and sound. Satya interrupts. Well... Kind of? I could really go for a cup of tea. Maybe some moisturizer. I'm feeling very dehydrated. The doctor reaches out with astonishing speed, grabs the table in front of us with her ungloved hand, lifts it, and slams it down on the floor. Do not test me! Wild-eyed, panting, nostrils flaring like an animal's, her pale face suddenly florid except for the scars that stay white as ever. Jagged slashes of lightning in the storm of her countenance. She's reaching for her pistol. Satya flinches back, lifting her hands to defend herself. I say, wait, there's no need for this. Just just stop. You have me now. Let Satya go. She doesn't know where Rael is. I do. Let her go free, and I will stay and tell you what I know. Mara leans over the table, close to us. I have you anyway. And if you don't... Tell me what you know. There are so many terrible things that could happen to you or to her. And if you harm her, you will never find Rael. You already know how he can vanish from your sight. And he's been getting better at resisting all your science, learning, growing. But there's no way any of this happens with Satya still here. She doesn't know anything. Let her go. Satya has regained her composure and looks surprisingly calm as she says, No, I'm not going. What? I'm not going. I'm not leaving here without you too, Simon. Satya, come on. Rael needs you more than he needs an old man like me. Then Rael can come and get me. She then lifts her chin to challenge the doctor. And he will. 
I say, now is not the time for romantic notions, Satya. It's nothing like that. It's what's meant to happen. That's why you're here, isn't it, Simon? Confusion has replaced fury on Mara's face. Well, guess it's time. I don't know how what comes next is going to play out, but I'd feel better if Satya was out of here for it. Last chance, Doctor. Let her go. I see no reason to. I have you both. Yeah, Rael told me you'd say that, but I had to try. And you, young lady, are too smart for your own good. So, Rael wanted me to deliver a message to you, Doctor. He is coming for us. And while he hopes no one will be hurt when he does, he cannot promise that it'll go that way. He is coming for us, and we will leave. Together. Mara takes a single step back, a look of dread passing through her. The pupil of her gray eye, the real one, widens. She fidgets with her uniform, tugging at the blouse and gun belt. But then she buries all of that with a little laugh and a haughty sneer of pride. How do you imagine that will happen? I have this whole facility blanketed in a Faraday field. We have our own power systems, self-contained and isolated from the rest of the world, with a cadre of loyal soldiers. Rail is blind to everything going on in here, and would be helpless inside the perimeter. Of course, I already know all this. That's true, I say. I guess someone will just have to turn off that field. And who would do that? She asks. And I say to her, You? She wants to laugh it off, to sneer at the very idea. But I catch a flicker of doubt on her face before she hides it with a ready smirk. She's afraid that I'm right. She's afraid of her own weakness. But she hasn't given up yet. And why would I do that? She asks. Satya suddenly looks at me sharply. She's figured it out. Clever girl. She says, Because you're going to come with us. For the record, I hated this plan when Rail proposed it. But Satya's right. So I say, Yes. Do you remember what Rael said at the diner? That he would be your friend if you set us free. He still means it. Lower the field and come with us. She goes a little pale with temptation and fear. Why? Why should I? Because Rael still thinks you can be saved from all this. The Theta group. The darkness. She hisses in frustration. Ah, this ridiculous delusion again. I cannot understand why you believe him. The entire premise is absurd. No more absurd than Rael himself, is it? She stops herself, taking a moment to recenter, tugging in her uniform and smoothing it out. You don't know what he is, do you? She says. Satya and I exchange glances, and when we don't answer right away, Mara repeats herself. Do you? Satya says, We know he's from... Yes, where? A different world than ours. Yes, but where? Hmm? Only a fig somewhere else? He wouldn't tell us either. 
Why is he here? Satya says, to save the world from the darkness. Yes, this theory of his, of an invisible ancient civilization that wants to destroy everything. Very convenient. It could be everywhere and in anyone. No. No, we've seen the darkness spread. I am not interested in what you think you have seen. I am interested in why such an astonishing and beautiful creation comes here, possessing such knowledge and capacity that we can barely fathom to fight, to wage war. A look of awe and fear crosses her face as she thinks of it, moved by terror and adoration alike. He is a weapon, and unless he is contained and understood, he will destroy our world. Satya sits up. No, no, Rail hates violence. He doesn't want to hurt anyone, even you. Mara looks down at her with mild contempt at her little jab. That's because he doesn't know he is a weapon. She hugs herself as if chilled, her cyan-gloved hand brushing over the sleeves of her uniform, which makes him all the more dangerous. But Satya won't give up. No, no, even when faced with violence, he tries to find peaceful ways to change people's hearts. (laughs) And how is that going for him, hmm? (laughs) Little by little, Isn't he finding ways to bend his virtues because they don't get results? He already has no regard for personal privacy. He treats everyone like they were an open book, whether they wish it or not. What was it in your message from him, Simon? He doesn't want to hurt anyone when he comes riding to your rescue, but he sounds prepared to accept it if someone does. Is he still obsessed with the governor? The supposed heart of this darkness... A threat to all living things everywhere? With the stakes so high, do you really think, as the frustrations mount and he faces failure after failure, when asking nicely comes to naught, that when he has the governor dangling from his powerful hands and nothing Rael says or does to him changes anything, that he won't use every drop of his uncalculated might to win? She takes a deep breath then to soothe herself, hiding the fear and fascination that has stolen onto her face. This is why we must find him and hold him before he realizes what he is and destroys us all. Satya slowly leans forward, the metal chair creaking a little, her friendship bracelets sliding down her arm to rest against the handcuffs. That's how you see it, because that's all you've ever seen. I get it. I do. Maybe there's something broken about humanity, but when there's conflict or troubles, the first tool we reach for is violence, and male violence at that. Sometimes the only tool. Do what I say or else... And if you're not a guy, or their idea of a guy, then you better submit, else the violence gets pointed at you. But give in, and you get protected. I saw it in my brother. He hated me when I started transitioning. I don't think he wanted to, but he was afraid. He was afraid that if he supported me, 
then the violence would come for him, too. And you know, with guys, the only emotion they're allowed to express is anger. So that's how he treated me. I saw it in my mother, too. When my father left, fear took her over. She was trying to keep a job and raise her children, and she worried all the time that it might fall apart if she made just one wrong step. Because she didn't have a man to negotiate life for her. She dated so many jerks after that. They treated her bad, but when she was attached to a man, other men left her alone. She dates jerks because she needs protection from other jerks. She gives in because she's afraid of living in a world that would be much worse. My father taught her that, with anger and his fists. My grandparents, too. My grandmother would fight with every ounce of her strength to let men be in charge because that's the only way she can see any future for her daughters. So I understand. You're trapped. It's hard to live with a subtle threat at your back all the time. Tell me about the accident. Mara turns, flinching, hiding the right side of her body from us. The side with the scars, the glove, and the glass eye. What? No, enough of this. Rail told me about you, but he said you were difficult to know. A lot of your past is carefully hidden. That makes the doctor curious. What did he tell you? Only a little. You're a mysterious woman, even to him. You have your doctorate in electrical engineering, which explains your charming bedside manner. You're from Sweden, originally, and you worked with your father until the accident. Mara stands stone still, jaw clenched. Staring at nothing, Sadia gently presses. You know, Rael feels anger, too, at some of the people in this world. But not you. Even after all the things you've done to him, he told me I shouldn't hate you. And now I don't. Because I can see that you're like my mother. You've bargained with the darkness to keep it from eating you alive. What would you know of it? I know what abuse looks like. Your father, did he hit you? Mara whirls then, her cyan eye facing us, seeming to flash with fury in the fluorescent light. Don't you dare talk about him. My father is a great man, perhaps the greatest in his field, and he trusted me enough to bring me onto his team. We were working on a revolution in energy production, something that could transform the world. The pressure on him was immense, Saji says, until the accident. What happened? Mara's anger fades, and she looks haunted, staring at the floor. I was careless, clumsy. I am lucky to be alive. The project had to be shut down. It was the greatest disappointment of his life. Rail thinks it wasn't your fault. There were safety issues from the start. It doesn't matter. She tries to pull herself together running shaken fingers along her tight black bun, checking for loose hairs. I thought I had lost everything. My career, my father, my looks. And then Rael came, and my father gave him to me. This beautiful creation he gave to me. The greatest mystery in our time. He is my responsibility. He is my redemption. Satya slides forward to the edge of her chair, trying to look into Mara's eyes. 
He is his own person. You have to let him go. The doctor shakes her head, a growing expression of alarm on her face. He is too dangerous. He will destroy everything. He's not here to destroy. The doctor suddenly lunges into a panicked pacing, her voice growing shrill. He cannot help it. He is not like us, and he will ruin everything. If I fail again... She suddenly cuts herself off, taking long, shaky breaths. Satya asks, These people you work for, the Theta Group, what do they do to you when you fail? Mara stares at the wall for a long time. When she turns back to Satya, she looks weary. You don't know anything. You were born a man. All you have to do to claim that birthright is exist. Why, of all the things you could be in this world, would you want to be a woman? Satya says, because if it's a choice between the world hating me or me hating myself, I'll let the world do what it's going to do. All my life, I was told that men behave one way and women another. Like it was science. Act like a man? What kind of a man do they mean? Like my brother? Like your father? My gender is not a contract with the universe. We're looking at the stars, but our constellations are all wrong. Someone else drew the lines in the heavens and told us what they meant. But I see the same stars as they do, and I can draw the lines differently. And so can you. It's not my duty to act like a man. It's my duty to be a good person. The doctor shakes her head in fervent denial, but refuses to look at either of us. Satya says, turn off the field. Let him in. Mara stares at the floor, looking profoundly sad. He is beautiful, isn't he? I could spend my whole life just staring into his eyes. Have you seen his eyes? Satya says, he forgives you. Mara smirks, he will forgive me if I let him go, hmm? No, no, he just forgives you. You don't have to do anything. You don't even have to ask. Mara wipes at her left eye. A few tears form in there. Then she takes a shaky breath. You will take me with you? It's not too late. You give me a word, I can come with you. You won't leave me here with them. Yes. Mara turns to me then, seeing the doubt on my face. I want your word too. Well, this was the plan. I say, yes, you can come with us. All right. What, what do I do? Turn off the Faraday field. That's all? Yes, that's all. The doctor pulls her phone from her belt. She hesitates only a moment more before tapping on its screen a few times. The soft electronic hum that was always just present behind the rain goes quiet. We wait in silence for perhaps ten seconds. Then the lights go out. The door to our room opens. The guard outside leans in. Ma'am, we have a situation. 
Mara turns so the soldier can't see her tearful face and waves him off. Yes, go, go. Leave the door open. But the detainees? Mara draws her pistol and holds it at her side. Oh, yes, don't worry. I'll keep an eye on them. He goes, and Mara slides her weapon back into its holster. We're all waiting. Outside, somewhere else in this unfinished building, I hear the sounds of soldiers running, calling to each other, getting farther away. Thunder rumbles. Then Dr. Ostrom's phone rings. A shrill, electronic chirp that makes us all jump. She nearly drops it, hands trembling as she taps the screen to take the call. Over the speaker, I hear Rail say, Thank you, Mara. And then... He came and got us. The Book of Constellations is written, produced, and performed by W. Keith Timms. For more information about the show, visit bookofconstellations.com. The theme song is Cycles by Pictures of the Floating World. If you know someone who might like this show, tell them about it, won't you? Until next time. There's something new I want you to hear. It's called The First Episode Of, and it's a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. In each show, I listen to the first episode of an indie audio drama and then have a discussion with the creators about their methods, their struggles, and successes. It's great conversation for anyone interested in storytelling and creativity. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts or at thefirstepisodeof.com. Give it a listen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.